Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. And um, we have someone really special on our show besides our guest. It's Rich Silverman. Yes, hi everybody. I have returned to the Hollywood 2.0 podcast. Uh, I've been busy, but uh, I wrapped up my work on the Berserk Transmedia project. And if you guys haven't had a chance to check it out, if you go to goberserk.com, there are two new transmedia experiences that we launched last month that I put together, and they're really cool, and look forward to hear what you all have to say about it. It's very interesting how I discovered this guest. A while back, Fast Company wrote an article about neurocinema and my collaboration with the facility MindSign to use fMRI technology to gauge an audience's feedback regarding a scene. This individual posted in the comment section how they had their own approach. Gawain Morrison of Film Trip, and he's got a new technology called Sensum that is, is gauges a user's response to film in real time. And then what it does is able to actually change things like, like color palette on the screen or the soundtrack or even scenes based upon how the audience is responding to what they're watching. Work with Queen's University in Belfast. They, have a, uh, they had a unit called the Music Sensors and Emotions Unit in a thing called the Sonic Arts Research Center. And they were doing experimentation with physiology and music. And uh, we were really fortunate to get some money from the Arts Council to do an experimental film. And that kind of brought us to doing the emotional response entertainment stuff. And we did a short horror film that we premiered at South by Southwest last year and a panel after it on the future of emotional response entertainment. Well, why don't we talk about this uh, Sensum contraption that you guys are working on over there and how that came to be. You already talked a bit about that coming from a project with, uh, I forgot the university, but it was a music-based project that, that sort of migrated into film. Yeah, there was a, there was a bunch called, uh, there's a, the, they're called the Biomuse Trio. Um, and they had done some work where they wired up... Uh, uh, some of the, the, the audience and assigned sign tones to them and then during the performance they would step off a stage and walk at the, the, the audience and it would freak them out their heartbeat would go and they'd become almost like an LFO to the sign tone and uh, that then meant that they, the audience became synthesizers and the guys would jam with them and you'd get this unique performance as a result of it and um, just the, the thought of being able to use physiology in any form of media just fascinated me and uh, we got the opportunity then to, to have a go at this and we did experimentation with a bunch of different clips of films just to see what genre we should go for when we were when we were scripting the the short the short film and when we did things we did like cry freedom we did the champ we did uh, a comedy series called the the called father ted um and we did this actually. There was one that was like a, it was like a medical clip where there was some surgery going on on an arm, where they cut the skin and peeled it back, and it was fascinating. Just what we were, we were glued to the real-time data that was appearing. We had it all as a visualization that was coming up, and um, we were glued to visualization of this data because some people were responding, some weren't. Like in the scene in Cry Freedom, where you had like this massacre scene, and uh, there's a guy leaning out of a car and shoot. It's a kid in the back, and I'm going, Christ! I mean, is is everybody racist in this room, or are they? Where there was no, there wasn't really very much signal, or do you, or do we, are we desensitized to murder, or do you really need to have empathized with the character and gone on the story journey with them to 
really get a motive on something and there was all these questions sprung up as a result of what we thought was just going to be a simple oh they're going to they're going to respond to this and they didn't in a lot of cases like the the physiology the the medical one it was mute and again there was so little signal and yet your stomach muscles were tightening up as you were watching this flesh being pulled back so it it lent us to believe well, we, I'm sure everybody really knows audio really does play such a massive part in, in a cinema or a theatre or TV entertainment experience um, but there's a lot of things from a story and an empathy point of view that really I think uh, came to the fore in this and we thought we were scared we went for we cheated really we, we went for the safety option and went for horror and uh, we knew that was going to be boo moments and tension now what, uh, what technology do you uh, use to gauge the feedback from your viewers well, where we're using, uh, we're capturing galvanic skin response and pulse. Uh, and that's just basic like, like dislike. It's fight flight function. It's not really a motive, to be perfectly honest with you, or emotional capture. Um, I mean, it's, that's at your lower brain function, your immediate signal response is going to be like dislike. And then we can contextualize on top of that. Uh, but really, what we're using, we're wanting to focus just on the like dislike, what the real time function on GSR, galvanic skin response, or electrodermal activity. It's, it's more commonly really known. Um, and we take that, we capture that real time. That goes into our system, and then outputs uh, variations in the audio and visual. So, uh, with the horror film that we had, there was different scene selections, or there was uh, we'd select whether you would play clips with with score or no score, or, um, generative sound effects where we would synchronise the fastest heartbeat in the room, and that would actually play the heartbeat sound for a scene, um, or play a sort of subsonic frequency that would kind of make you feel uncomfortable or make your skin crawl if you weren't scared enough and uh, so it allows you to play about with an awful lot of factors of, of the cinema experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's the hardware involved with this um, just for people who don't know some of the terms you threw out before is this like something that, that hooks over your finger and it, it's connected yeah. to a cable to a central device or how does that, how does that work on that level? Okay, well, I mean, what we're using is it's uh, it's it's literally it's a piece of metal between on between two different points, and all it's do doing is measuring the conductance between those two points. So the more you sweat, the wetter it is, the better the conductivity, and therefore the the measurement of the the very very small voltage that it's sending across those two points is being measured. At that point, you're able to say. It moves in sort of a, a sine tone wave, you know, it, you can see it moving like that. It isn't a sine tone, but you can see it moving kind of like that, uh, going up and down peaks and troughs. And um, you, you can take pulse and, and the variation in pulse and how fast it comes in and goes out and your attack and decay on those. And these are just standard responses of the physiology in terms of stimulus. And you look at the amount of stimulus that we're, we're, your senses are filtering out. Um, and then whatever gets through is what you then... Uh, respond to and then your your the way you live the person you are the things that affect you the context of the scenario you're in defines how you're going to take that as an emotion respond as an emotion and then do something um now now is there anything that you discovered while you're working on this like for instance for myself i realized that people who didn't like horror films had more activation than people who love them because it maybe it seemed that they were um Almost the people who are the hardcore horror buffs, they know they kind of get a sense of what's going to happen next. I was wondering if you had any discoveries while you're uh, researching this about how viewers uh, experience films that you didn't think when you came into it. Yeah, I mean, 
We're still in the early days of that, to be perfectly honest with you. We are looking at a range of different genres and, and films that we're testing in different genres. And I don't know if we've really done enough to be able to establish uh, anything that would explain patterns in it or say, hey, you're, you're, you're a horror film lover, you want it dark and twisted and you want to go to the dark place and let's ramp it up and ramp it up. You know, it, uh, it may, we, we're not quite sure whether you should take people up, you should take people down. And to be honest with you, I think... If you're a filmmaker and you're good at your craft, you understand. I mean, I'm reading a book at the moment. Uh, it was from the 80s called The Hollywood... Let me see if I've got it handy. I think it's called The Hollywood... Hollywood Eye? I can't remember, actually. But it's uh, John Bornstein wrote it. And it was... Um, and it's just talking about the craft of filmmaking and how an editor chooses a shot, how a, a costume designer chooses the colours and the, the, the set designer and, and then the framing and then all of this stuff... You're, you're creating emotions and the response you want your audience to see and feel and hear. And um, I think a lot of filmmakers intuitively can already do this. The best of them most definitely can do this and they don't need a piece of science to tell you. But I think we can take it to a whole new level by once you start to see what is happening, where could this really go and what would you... what. Could you push the emotional boundaries more? Could you take them on journeys you didn't... That they think from a genre what they should have. Maybe you can take it in completely a different way just because of the way the audience reacts. So you imagined uh, shooting, say, a feature film that you might you might shoot... I don't know how many scenes are in a feature film, like 80 or 90 scenes, but for mm. like a sensum film, you might shoot 300 scenes. Yeah, and I mean, then and then dole out those scenes almost like like a, a DJ sort of sort of mixing something on the fly. It, Francis Ford Coppola is actually doing something like that with yeah, uh, yeah. His, his latest movie. Yeah. But like with yeah, Sensen, yeah. Uh, it would the system would, would would sort of mix up the scenes based on the audience reaction. Yeah, I mean, as well as that, I mean, I would hope that there'd be a, a way we could do it where you'd almost have you could have real time uh, rendering, real time color palette selection, real-time sort of saturation, hue, colour, um, lighting, as well as audio, and all of this stuff that, that are the variables of what you see on a screen and what you hear can all actually be controlled so that you have different moods set because of these, because of the, again, the craft of film to give you certain moods is done by the lighting and the colour choice and the framing. So, that in itself, from a post-production point of view, may be something you could look at. Or audio, I mean, really, audio has such a massive, massive impact. Uh, you know, you guys, you've, people talk about uh, how you can play Wizard of Oz with Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And that's very obviously not what the filmmaker thought of when he was making the thing. But when you play it, it does work, and it's fascinating, and it's a beautiful journey. And there's guys that go out and DJ and play their own sets along with a film um, I just think that there's there's an awful lot of room to be able to experiment with, with audio before you can get into picture, before you can get into multiple paths and production budgets going out the window because you've got to shoot 300 clips instead of 90, you know? Yes, it would be a huge undertaking and, and very complicated to put that kind of a script together so that it would hold together and make sense no matter what kind of the direction the audience took the story in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah, it seems almost that by by judging an individual amongst a group, it seems like there's almost a group think when it comes to a movie. So it seems like maybe in the sense that what if you could test one individual, they could all have similar uh, responses because they're all influencing each other. There's definitely a, a, an argument to that because if you 
uh, play a heartbeat sound to a room of people, over a period of time their hearts will phase to that same heartbeat rhythm. Um, so there's definitely the sort of sheep following rule going on here. But at the same time, I mean, if you were to close that loop and give people the opportunity to have individual experiences through earbuds or lighting or that their, their uh, particular set of signals as they came out of a feature film um, and they've all group affected it, but you're recording uh, your own signals to yourself, you walk out of that and you say you've got an alternate reality game that's running as part of this. You've got something that is absolutely 100% unique to you for that duration of that, that can give you unlocks, trading, different game rules, different different parameters, just because you have had that individual experience within the group environment. So I think that there's an awful lot of opportunity for sort of second device stuff, even if you have had a group uh, share of something that you've a lot when you come back out of that that you can do individually. And when, when you say a second uh, like piece of equipment that somebody be uh, uh, handling, it's almost like when you go to movie theaters, people are already trying to reach for their phones. So would you be saying like maybe some type of dual screen experience in the theaters? It's something we had talked. That's not something that we've looked at, but it is something that we've actually talked about. Is how you would use second device, even in this. So say you actually take it from a from a TV point of view. You're sitting at home, or from a games point of view. If this thing's picking up real time and it's taking data, you can really start to use the second device as a proper gaming tool um, to to sort of supplement what you're having on screen at that time. Specifically with television, more than games, I suppose, because. If you've got broadcast, really not going to change. People like to have their live shows, their live things going on, and have sort of water cooler chat the next day. I don't think broadcast will change in terms of the live model side of things. But if you have the opportunity to have physiology that affects stuff, then you've got some really cool opportunities. I think. How do you Still imagine uh, uh, movie theaters uh, working with this from a physical uh, point of view? I, I, I keep picturing the, the famous. Life magazine photograph from the 50s with everybody wearing 3D glasses. Do you imagine a, a, a photograph for Life magazine in 2015 where everybody's finger is connected to one of these devices? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I was talking to a guy called Ian Christie, who's the senior VP of Europa Cinemas uh, in Europe. And um, he is a massive advocate of uh, 3D and how we haven't really push the boundaries of 3D and the way studios are looking at putting more bums on seats just by doing turning 2D films into 3D. It's kind of a cop-out and it's making the user experience a bit shit. People are fight, fighting back against it and saying, ah, oh, 3D has no future just because of that. But if you have um, you have the death of the 35mm uh, labs and the death of 35mm projecting or projectors in cinemas, not far off. Something needs to be able to replace that. You know, Europa Cinemas itself is two and a half thousand screens, um, of which 850 are digital. And if the 35 mil industry dies, well, that's two thirds of those cinemas that have lost their content over or the, the, the ability to project these things overnight. So something has to come in to replace it. And uh, we very much believe that Sensum has a place in that. It may not be the thing. Um, physiology may not be the thing, but it'll definitely be one of those things. It seems like video games, like you're saying, it seems like uh, the best fit because it's, it seems easier to control the image. Uh, you know, to have more of that uh, 
I guess the improvisational elements to uh, adapting based on the individual's uh, responses versus film, which you actually have to shoot everything, you know, and make sure it's all edited and the like the structure is logical. Do you feel that video games is your best bet? Definitely, it has a much easier road, I think. Uh, animation, you could get away with animation in a cinema environment like this. Anything that you're able to build the world and box it off and have its own laws and physics and everything, you plug this in as an engine and away you go. Um, and then it's just the, it's just another variable. Um, so gaming really, it, it is a natural fit for this. And, uh, and then on top of that, any sort of interactions that you have in a digital space where you've got uh, the world that's moving at a hell of a rate in all manner of ways, in a social way, in a sentiment way, and just generally how we consume data. Um, and it's all about how do you make sense of that filtered noise to, to focus it towards you. And it's a bit... It throws up massive moral and ethical issues if you walk down that road, because if you marry physiology with sentiment uh, analysis and social analysis, you know, there's really not an awful lot of yourself left that's not out there um but it's here it's coming you know we've got voice recognition we've got face recognition we've got uh proprioceptive awareness through uh the connect and these are these things are in our pockets and in our homes so they're here now the conversation needs to be having uh, needs to be had it almost listening to you talk almost seems like like part of you uh, wants to go off into the woods and kind of eschew sort of the technology, but but you're finding that you have to embrace it, like you said, because this is sort of, you know, this is the here and the now, and we do live in a technological world. How, how do you feel about that? Do you feel torn between, you know, tech and non-tech, or do you fully embrace all this technology? I am continuously torn. I uh, see the wonders of it, and I'm continuously concerned, especially, I mean, you, you see the frenzy of, of noise that's on the web, because of Google's choice to move from 70-odd privacy policies down to 10 and Facebook doing whatever its bits are and Twitter selling data and all these people. And this is the reality. This is the reality of commercial business and we just happen to be all part of it. And the conversations, we didn't understand it when it was all kicking off. So we, there was no proper conversations around really what was best practice for all of that. And we're in the middle of it now. Um, the conversation, if we're aware of that right now, we can see it now, we can see what we should have been talking. We know physiology's here and we, we should be having the conversations now because we've just watched what's happened with, with people in terms of privacy with social networking. We need to get in here now and start talking about it from a physiology point of view. You know, what you mentioned uh, that it's it almost, you mentioned that it's kind of like the, the next step because we're already providing a certain amount of data, but I think it's almost like passive sharing. Because I think a lot of, uh, other than certain social networks where you could just be in a room and I think it lets people know that you're in the room, a lot of it is you have to, um, you have to opt in to a certain degree. So yeah. I think with these situations, people are going to have to choose to opt out and it's a different experience. And as it becomes more culturally acceptable, it seems like people are going to be fine just to share everything about how they're feeling without even thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I um, I agree with you, but I don't know whether that's correct. I don't know whether it's actually ethically correct. Um, you know, we 
I was having this conversation with a guy today about um, about privacy, really, on this, and I am I am concerned that the arguments are about trust. Everything just comes down to trust, and we don't feel that we've got a voice to be able to say to Google or Facebook or Twitter or anybody else. Um, hold on, actually. Everybody is using these, and these are the tools that I operate in this digital space with, but I don't have any control really over why you're doing it and how you're making your money. And I don't see where all the... I mean, I don't know who Facebook has just sold all this data to. I don't know what companies are accessing all this. And I, I was thinking we maybe should have some sort of data visualization. At the end of year, Facebook and Twitter and Google and anybody else, any other company operating with social and physiological data should possibly have to provide an infograph to you showing you where did your data go this year? Who used your data? So that you have the opportunity, the power goes back to the individual to be able to say, actually, do you know what it is? I don't think I agree with that. I'm, I'm okay with you being a business. I'm okay with you making a lot of money off this. And I'm okay with everybody getting this beautifully free service um, because you have to make money somehow. But I would please like you to give me the opportunity to say, I'm not sure I like what that bit does about me. Uh, I think that's a brilliant idea, actually. And that, that I've, I've never heard that before, but some transparency, like an end of the year report, like like in the United States when you get like a tax document from a company saying how much money they paid you, or a credit report. It's kind of the same yeah. thing. Here's a here's a data report of what we did with your data over the past year. I mean, it, 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 that, when you say that, it almost seems like a, like a no-brainer. It's never, that I know. never occurred to me. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's just a degree of responsibility. It's a degree of courtesy. You know, here are companies that are making vast sums of money, but also offering many other companies. I mean, here at South by today, there are just an insane, basically the whole place is operating on Facebook. Every new business that comes up, it's a bit of this, it's a bit of that. We're all plugging into this. We're using the Twitter API to allow us to do this, Facebook to do that. They have created whole new economies for everybody. And they should be celebrated for that. But at the same time, they're making a lot of money off the individual and the individual hasn't got the ability to control that data. And specifically as we're moving into an age of physiology, this needs to be sorted. It, it, it feels that like you're tapping into something that's a tip of something and then I think the next part of it is the augmented reality. It seems like those are going to be the next big waves in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean... The amount of data that's out there now, it makes sense that there's a means for you to be able to hyper-localize it, hyper-personalize it, and be able to do something with it and have a lot of uh, benefit from that. And I think businesses can make a lot of money from that. People can learn a lot from it. And as well as that, I mean, there's, there's announcements today that's, uh, from the UK trade investment guy um, saying that they're about to open up their government data sets proper. Um, you know, these are big steps. These are big, big social and uh, social and, and benefits for, for everybody. But uh, again, it, it's, it's open data for all, but we need to make sure that the security frameworks are there for us all to be trusting in where this goes. You've, you've left me uh, questionless right now as I'm kind of pondering all, the, all, of, the, all of the, well, all, all the, all the, all the, the social, but really the, the political uh, kind of ramifications, all of this and all the, the, the machinery that 
has to be put into place to have this kind of uh, a framework codify at a, at a legislative level as to what, what are the, the rights of the individual and, and privacy issues are being talked a lot about in the United States. And, and it's just, oh, it, it's, I don't even know if it's a debate. It's just a lot of noise going on about it right now. And nothing really seems to be getting done. So there's a long way to go before anything like what you're proposing, like an end of the report to be, uh, written into law and actually put into practice. You know, I I, I think I think in a, uh, if you look at it on a sense of uh, you you two probably have uh, much more sensitive to the the vision of privacy than the average individual because they're not so close to the media and communications and uh, just how how information flows. I mean, some people might feel disgusted if you really sit them down, talk to them, but it seems like I don't I don't think it could have like an actual movement. Because most of the people on the web are actually voluntarily showing their pictures from like a weekend yeah. where they're drunk and they're totally yeah. smashed. So it seems like yeah. people can complain about it, but it seems like the actual movement is actually in the direction of uh, opening up everything. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. And uh, the individual must learn to take responsibility. You know, it's not the fault of the companies, they're, they're business. But... Um, a lot of people don't even know how to find the opt-out settings from Facebook. You know, <laughs> if, if, it's a, if it's as simple as not being able to look, figure out how to get out of something, then it means that the majority of the people on the web don't really know how it's working, don't know how their data is being, being moved about, don't really... We, we all hear about, oh, hey, such and such, there was less money made because they had sold such and such as data. I mean, yeah, grand, okay, but what does that actually mean? What, what, how do you visually represent that? How do you educate everybody in an easy, not patronizing, but an easy way to say, hey, guys, this is actually what's going on. And then that, that will allow sensible debate, sensible conversation. How do we establish a framework for this? Um, but I don't think, I don't think the people that are in legislation have the time to learn all of this, or maybe the will, or... You know, it's being driven by economics. All of the future of where we're going is being driven by economics. But but on the on the, on the, on the same point, it's kind of like uh, your technology that you're champion. The probably the most profitable industry is advertising. If you could work with, because people will be excited to have personalized ads, is because it's a new way for people to be attracted to something that's fresh. Because a lot of times people don't want the old advertisements; they want something new. So it's almost like that's going. Individuals are going to be willing to give Coca-Cola this information about themselves if this creates an interesting avatar of their face or it personalizes the commercial. So it's almost like the the shiny toys, which is going to bring people in, uh, and they're going to actually volunteer to give you everything if it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And again, I, I don't think that there's a problem with that. I really don't. Um, and you know, uh, constraining. Constraining people, constraining companies getting the bottom line, hurts them. So, like, if there was a, if there was everybody, everybody going, do you know what? Actually, Coke did such and such. I mean, it's not fair to pick on Coke, but you know, a company uh, has done such and such, and uh, everybody goes, oh, I don't like that much. Okay, well, we'll just stop buying it, or we'll stop doing this, or then that hurts the bottom line, and the company changes direction, stops doing what they're doing. It's it's just standard. I suppose it's called a but but it's but but, but it's but it's a difference. What I'm saying is, there's a difference between 
asking for and saying, hey, would you give it, being upfront about it versus being sneaky. If someone simply says, I provide a, be- a beautifully, beautiful user interface for a social uh, network, here it is. And then you go, I'm going to share pictures of my baby to everybody. That's your choice to give them. So yeah. That's what I'm saying. Coca-Cola's not being sneaky. They're using, like, say, your, your technology or something similar to go, here, here's something very interesting to have a beautiful experience. It will be branded, but join us. And then people will move forward to get it versus having it behind their back. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I again, I don't think there's an issue. I, I personally don't have a problem with that. You know, it's uh, it, it's all about the transparency. What are you doing with it? I'm doing this with it. What are you benefiting from it? I'm getting this. Are you happy enough for us all to move forward and uh, all benefit from the technology and what it's doing? Yep, cool, let's go. If you're not, then no problem. There's something else for you to go and do. I, I think it's, it just doesn't make sense that there should be complexity around it as long as there's a, uh, everybody's up front and telling each other what it's all happening. That's why I think the infograph at the end of a year, as a year end, would help everybody feel a little easier about it all. But then, then we, might, uh, we might find out that there's some pretty horrible stuff going on. Um, maybe maybe, maybe then everybody would stop doing it. There was a, a guy this morning was saying, why would, why, if, 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 uh, if we went down this road and people decided that we're going to have to have this infographic at the end of the year, um, would it actually then stop the businesses wanting to actually operate? Then would we stop having the services? Would we lose Facebook? Would we lose Twitter? Would we lose Google? Um, if it was found out that we all didn't approve of it? I don't think so. They're too big. I think then we could collectively go here. We're not altogether happy with that. And uh, maybe they'd start to shift around because of that. Who knows? I, I don't think we would lose those businesses either. I don't and think it's possible. No, they're 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 too wedded to our culture and society Absolutely. and the Absolutely. economy at this point. Absolutely. And there's no and, and without sounding like a complete paranoid conspiracy uh, fringe person, <laughs> there's no there there's we really would have no way of knowing unless you're some kind of hacker that the infographic they present you at the end of the year is a hundred percent accurate or the full story. Yeah, of course, of course, but at least. It's something. It's something. No, no. Here on, let's uh, take this in another direction. We'll see. You know, it's gonna become a Tom Clancy novel pretty soon. <laughs> we'll have Facebook chasing us. But um, so, so we're talking about test screening, test screening uh, films. I was wondering, what's your thoughts on test screening transmedia projects? Because it's not only the content; it's also bridging the content, taking somebody from the comic book to the video, then from the video to maybe some type of live event. I was wondering, is there ways to do an overall focus group of that with the complexity of uh, that type of uh, entertainment? I think it would probably have to be quite modular in its reporting. I think what you'd end up doing is you'd be siloing the data from each point of contact. So it would be the, the, the iPhone game, it would be the street game, it would be the cinema, it would be the, the social side to it you know i think you'd have to probably take all of those and then yeah you could you could actually because what you would be able to do is measure the the emotional engagement across each of those of those uh, modules and then see for which individual fitted uh what part what did they really engage in what did they really like um yeah i don't think there'd be an issue with that at all, actually, I think it would be actually that would be really interesting. Because, because in a sense, you're not just judging the individual pieces of uh, content; you're also judging the ability 
of, of the content to, to get people to migrate. So it's yeah. not just uh, yeah. because maybe you can have a really good uh, video, but if it doesn't get people to migrate to all the other uh, platforms, it may be less successful than maybe a slightly less entertaining uh, video. Massively so. And really, at the end of the day, you go, you go into these things for entertainment. I mean, you don't go in, well, in some cases, I suppose there's education slants to them as well. But I mean, you go into them to either learn or to, to, to have an, an emotional and an entertainment experience. So if it isn't working on an emotional level, on a physiology level, it's probably not working. Now, you're, uh, the, the, the Sensum technology, uh, I think I read on your website that it's multi-platform and that it works on, um, like it could work on an iPhone or a tablet. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we've developed it in, in Android and we've been working with an iPhone uh, version of it. The issue with what we've been doing is that it's with Bluetooth, so obviously with uh, with the Apple, we have Bluetooth issues, but we've been working with another company to do uh, use the audio jack um, with a different type of sensor so we can actually then plug straight into the iPhone. So, uh, yeah, it's it's either Android or OS. Then you can have a whole new kind of a suite of, of experiences with it, not just the, the shared theatrical one that we were talking about earlier, but even like shared television or maybe there's an application for it with, with reality TV like, like American Idol or America's Got Talent to, to like gauge you know, a, a live snapshot of what the, the country is feeling about a given performer on TV at that moment. Yeah, totally. It's uh, what we've been calling emotional heat maps. Um, where you would have big events where you could then actually measure what the sensation of people are in different places at different times um, and watch those ebb and flow really as as you have the crescendo of that person that you thought was going to be crap on the stage and actually turns out to be absolutely astonishing and everybody starts weeping because they're oh that was incredible you know it's that you can really watch the journey of the emotions around those and uh you can, I mean, you can see how this would then lead into the likes of advertising and stuff because obviously the likes with uh, American IRM, was it X Factor, which one? It was, it was Coca-Cola had sponsored the whole thing and everything was red and white in the stage and all. So you've already got those those triggers being pushed. You could lead that really emotional moment at the end of the stage. Everybody, wow, 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 cut straight to an advert and they ride off the back up. That, uh, that emotion straight into whatever adverts and it can even start to tailor the advertising that's coming out to you. You know, it's... <laughs> I don't know whether I like it. I can just see where it goes. I can see where a lot of it's going to, to slip and slide as you move across different, uh, different mediums, different experiences, different uh, visual, visual outputs, really. No, it's almost like, in a sense, uh, we're talking about how Twitter, you have to volunteer to tweet you have to be a part of it you have to sign on so it's almost yeah. like it's like twitter in the sense that you're you could gauge anything that's happening in major events and how people are feeling about it but that's one of the things where this, people get to stop thinking about how they're feeling and just naturally just exist and they'll start giving it off so it's i think it's an interesting very interesting approach yeah yeah i mean um I would like to think that it actually makes people feel a little bit more aware of what they're doing and how they're getting on with their world, you know, and see, like, everybody knows that you have your buttons pushed, everybody knows that advertisers are looking for that emotional hook that will make you remember this thing, so when you're walking down the aisle of the, the, the mall the next day, you'll go and, you'll, you'll go and try and buy something, and you go, oh, that was, I really like that. Um, so we know that that's happening. But if you're able to actually provide a visual representation of that, 
I don't know, is that, is that empowering the individual? Is that informing you of the emotions that are being pushed? Does, do you really want to know? Do you, want, do you not want to know? You know, there's, there's, I think there's a degree of empowerment with this where you can actually start to learn about your own physiology and yourself um, and be a wee bit more aware. I think there's also something empowering about it in the sense that if I'm experiencing happiness at this moment and I know that my neighbors are also and that the, the neighbors in the next state over or even the next country over are experiencing the same thing that I am, that there's something kind of uh, unifying about it from a psychological and maybe even a, a spiritual point of view that could be empowering for people and make them feel even better about the moment and themselves and you know their, their fellow man. Without sounding too grandiose, that sounded no, no, incredibly I, grandiose. I know it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there is a. I do truly think there is a in today's media fast frenzied world. There is a degree of um, emotional ADHD where people really aren't empathising with their fellow man too often, and you do get you get a little mo. I mean, if you go to an incredible gig. And you come out and you've all just had this shared wonderful experience. You're charged. You come out the other side and you're amazing. Or if you go to a documentary and you, you go through a feature documentary and it's a really, it's a real heart plucker. You're sort of caught up by it. Now, these are these are big deals that you don't really actually go through um, too often. And um, I think when you watch disasters and things on news, it's all done in news format. Um, you know, if you were able to feel what those people were going through and whatever was happening at that time, I think you'd step up a lot quicker and go, do you know what? We need to help that, you know? Um, I was wondering, so you have these projects right here. What is, like, um, on your, on your, I guess, your long-term, uh, like, uh, to-do list, this, I guess, short-term, I would say first start short-term and then, obviously, long-term uh, uh, goals? Yeah, um... Short term, I mean, we find out this week, uh, we pitched a, a, a game show comp, com, uh, concept, sort of format for this um, to UK Channel 4. So we find out this week, two days time actually, whether we've, we've got uh, the development stage of this, uh, if, if we've been successful with that. So that was kind of the first thing. We we're looking at sort of TV concepts we could do with this and entertainment. Um, we have a science fiction feature film, which is being written by sci-fi novelist Ian MacDonald. And uh, we are doing the official launch of Sensum uh, during Tribeca Film Festival next month uh, in New York. And we're sort of pushing to try and raise the finance for the feature film using this technology whilst we're there and for the next for the next year. So Ray, we're, those are our main main things. Um, we're also we're also talking to a, a science gallery in Belfast about using this uh, in Halloween around fear and educating kids and what's happening with physiology when they're scared. Um, so we've got a couple of projects that we're sort of focusing on uh, at the moment. Long-term-wise, I would like us to be in a position where our, our sensum layer, our platform, is the skin between the, the sensor world that we're about to move into and... Uh the way that we consume everything that's digital um, so that you have this, this this way of being able to access data through physiology. It's a, it's a brave new world indeed. It really is. It really is. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna make sure that I don't hold you too long because I know South by Southwest, uh, there's great barbecue and 
probably, probably, <laughs> probably still early over there. But uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that. No, thanks very much for getting in touch, guys. And uh, yeah, hope to copy you sometime. Oh, Get a pint of Guinness in. Hey, everybody. This is the wrap-up to Hollywood 2.0. Thanks for listening. Please give us a call. At, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hey, don't call us. We don't, we, we don't really want to hear from you. Yeah, we yes, we you. do want to hear from you. We do want to hear from you. Email, uh, Facebook, Twitter. You can find me at my website. Mm-hmm. It's richsilverman.com. I'm a, that's also my Twitter Twitter handle, Rich Silverman. And Peter? Yes, yes, yes. My website is peterkatz.net, K-T-Z. And my email is katz, K-T-Z, films at gmail.com.
All right, guys, thanks for checking out the first half of the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed creating it. Right about now, it's time for me to hand over the decks to my good friend, DJ Hella Beats, also known as DJ Jay Gregory. His mix is labeled Dark Rooms. It was a, a mix he did right around Halloween, so it's a little bit spooky. It's got some pleasure craft in there, green velvet, eats everything with the track The Size, which I absolutely love. Um, don't forget to head over to Jay Gregory's website where he's an editor at thebeatery.com. Thanks again for tuning in to the Electris Podcast, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.
clump. 